the power. I love that. Nobody ever else goes quiet when I come into a room. <laughs> morning. Morning. I like that. That means you can hear me, so that's good. Welcome to this morning's service, which is a uh, pick and mix service, which is going to be led this morning by our own Nikki Gleason. Yay! And it's on the subject of Esther. So welcome to everybody. Welcome to everyone who is... Uh, Worship, worship with us every week and those who worship with us occasionally or those who have worshipped with us never before, it's great to have you here. Um, there's tea and coffee and juice and biscuits and cake after the service, so please stay and uh, have a conversation with us and join in fellowship with us after the service. The reason that there's cake is because Judith completed her 12-hour dance-a-thon uh, yesterday, so congratulations to Judith. Don't get her running around today, she's a bit sore. Um, thank yous to everyone who was involved in that, not only to you, but everyone behind the scenes who did anything, whether it was setting up, turning up, buying a raffle prize, having a brew, making a cake, providing a cake, anything that anybody did yesterday to help with that dance a that is absolutely fantastic. Yesterday alone raised £510.15. pence. So there's, there's still a little way to go, but um, so the Just Giving page that Judith set up is um, still going, so if you need to know details about that, ask me or Judith um, afterwards, and if you don't understand Just Giving, then we'll just take cash, we're quite happy, we're not, we're not <laughs> at all. So I have no more notices apart from to uh, commend the written notices to you, which if you don't like paper, because I know we're very eco-friendly, are online as well, so you have no excuses for not knowing what's going on. Um, and I have nothing else to say apart from shall we have a moment of quiet before we open in prayer <coughs> <coughs> Heavenly Father we gather to serve you and to thank you for all that you have done in our lives accept our thanks and praises in Jesus' name Father as we continue this service fill us with your joy and refresh our spirits let everyone see your glory and power God, a God who gives us strength as we wait on him. Let's stand and sing together. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord, as we wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord.
your God is with you. We're thinking about um, a character in the Bible called Esther today, who was a very strong and courageous woman, and she got her strength from God. The Lord, your God, is with you. strength and your love 
and your comfort for them at the moment. So Father God, be with us in this service. We want to learn more about you. We want to praise you. We want to be know how to be your people that little bit better. And we ask that in this service, you will come close to us, Lord, and we will come close to you, to know you through and through. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's say together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. sorted out. Um, so today, uh, as per pick a mix, if you are the f- if this is the first time that you are here, um, you may not know how we go about doing that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry, I didn't really think about that one before I got up here. Um, so today we are looking at the character Esther and what she can bring to the table to teach us how to walk more gently in, um, in the image of Christ. So, uh, this woman has lots to offer, there's tons to think about, um, and we normally have a few questions that we um, reflect on. So, we tend to look at what's going on in the passage, but as it's a book, because it's her book, um, it's a bit longer than that. Um, and then it's how does that apply to me or us, wherever our circumstances are. And this is the clincher. What would I give up for God? Because we look at that in relation to her story and how she interacted with the world around her. Okay, so that's it. There are three questions. And per our usual pick a mix, we have a zonage. So... This is where I get to be like a pretend I'm an air steward. So if you would like to leave the building to the right, um, there's the chat zones just out here. So if you like to listen, if you hear God best through having a conversation, that's the place for you to go. If you hear God best through fiddling with bits of clay and glitter and sticking and stuff like that, so you like a doing, um, then that is the zone for you. Because you'll hear God best that way. Or if you're someone that likes to just reflect, take it in, soak it up, then the listening zone, which is this one, you are very welcome to participate in that. Okay, so what we're going to do is in a moment we'll break up and go off into our various areas. Um, But before we do, let's just pray for us to know where it is we need to be today and what it is we need to hear. So Lord, we come with open hearts with listening ears, with eyes to see, whatever it is that you have for us today, whether it's a big or small thing, whether it's a reminder or a fresh nudge, 
or for some of us a good kick in the bum. Um, Lord, we just pray that you are with us, that you will be gracious to us, and that we remember that we are here for one another. So we take that knowledge and we choose our zone to listen to you today. Amen. Amen. So I think, I don't know who you're playing yet. So we'll have some music and you can flitter off in whatever direction you want to go. off to our different zone so we're settling in that means if you're staying here put your big ears on we're having a big (laughs) listen um and because it's me i probably will ask you a few questions so be um be prepared for that i want to show you a video but it's nine minutes long which is not really that long but it might be a bit because there's quite a bit of information in do you want us to have a little break in between each and we'll have a little chat in between each one or would you like to just watch it all so, breaks, lava suits for breaks, lava suits for straight through. Breaks win it. Okay, so if you play it, I'll. No. Yeah. So if you start, and Darren, I'll just give you a shout if I want you to stop. Is that all right? Yeah. It's the magic of communication. Right, let's go. Anytime. The book of Esther. It's one of the more exciting and curious books in the Bible. The story is set over 100 years after the Babylonian exile of the Israelites from their land. And while some Jews did return to Jerusalem, remember Ezra and Nehemiah, many did not. And so the book of Esther is about a Jewish community living in Susa, the capital city of the ancient Persian Empire. The main characters in this story are two Jews, Mordecai, and then his niece Esther. And then there's the king of Persia, who's something of a drunken pushover in this story. And then there's the Persian official, Haman, the cunning villain. Now this is a curious book in the Bible, mainly for the fact that God is never even mentioned, not once. Which might strike you as kind of odd. I mean, isn't the Bible about God? But this is a brilliant technique by the author, who's anonymous, by the way. It's an invitation to read this story looking for God's activity, and there are signs of it everywhere. The story is full of very odd, quote, coincidences and ironic reversals, and it all forces you to see God's purpose at work, but behind the scenes. Let's just dive into the story. The book opens with the king of Persia throwing two elaborate banquet feasts that last a total of 187 days, and it's all for the grandiose purpose of displaying his greatness and splendor. 
On the last day of the banquet feast, he's really drunk, and he demands that his wife, Queen Vashti, appear at the party to show off her beauty. She refuses, and so in a drunken rage, the king deposes Vashti and makes the silly decree that all Persian men should now be the masters of their own homes. Then he holds a beauty pageant because he wants to find a new queen. This is like a really bad soap opera. But it's right here that we're introduced to Esther and Mordecai. Esther hides her Jewish identity and enters the beauty pageant and wins. And the king is so obsessed with Esther that he elevates her to become the new queen of Persia. Now after this, and even more serendipitous, is the fact that Mordecai just happens to overhear two royal guards plotting to murder the king. And so he informs Esther, who in turn informs the king, and Mordecai gets credit for saving the king's life. Now right here from the beginning, God's not mentioned anywhere, but this all seems providentially ordered. What is it that God's up to? You have to keep reading. We're next introduced to Haman, who's not actually a Persian. He's called an Agagite. He's a descendant of the ancient Canaanites. Remember 1 Samuel chapter 15. The king elevates Haman to the highest position in the kingdom, and he demands that everybody kneel before Haman. Well, when Mordecai sees Haman, he refuses to kneel, which of course fills Haman with rage. And when he finds out that Mordecai is Jewish, Haman successfully persuades the king to enact this crazy decree to destroy all of the Jewish people. And to decide the date of the Jews' annihilation, Haman rolls the dice. A die is called pur in Hebrew. Tuck that away for later. Eleven months later, on the 13th of Adar, all the Jews will die. Haman and the king then have a drinking banquet to celebrate their really horrible... Okay, so... Thus far, we're into chapter three now, so we've gone, we've gone a good chunk in. Um, and just some things for you to realise is that uh, the reason Esther has put herself forward is to be in the court of the king means to have a voice in the court, right? So if we were to translate that to, to our world, being part of a governmental conversation means that you have influence or say or you're being heard, okay? So there's that part of the reason why they're in, that she's taking this position inside that. Um, and then the other one was that um, it, this book is full of uh, coincidence or God, <coughs> God incidents, as I like to call them. Um, so we've got that going on. And this, is, this overview is to give you an idea of what's happening inside the story. Um, to give you an idea of the, when you step back and look at the picture, it'll make a little bit more sense. The other thing is that um, the Canaanites, that's another big one. So when we refer to Samuel 1, the Canaanites and the Israelites were just, they hated each other. So for in our context, it would be a bit like, for me, in Northern Ireland, the Protestants and the Catholics. Okay, so it's just to bring that into context for you. Does that make sense? Are we all on the same page? We're doing okay, are we? All right, so let's go for it again. Decision. So the focus now turns to Mordecai and Esther, who are the only hope for the Jewish people. They make a plan that Esther's going to reveal her Jewish identity to the king and ask him to reverse the decree. But approaching the king without a royal request is, according to Persian law, an act worthy of death. So in a key statement, Mordecai, he's confident that even if Esther remains silent, that deliverance for the Jews will arrive from another place. And then Mordecai wonders aloud. He says, who knows? 
Maybe you've become queen for this very moment. Esther responds with bravery, and she purposes to go to the king with her amazing words, If I perish, I perish. Now in what unfolds, we watch the ironic reversal of all of Haman's evil plans. So Esther hosts the king and Haman at a first banquet, and she says that she wants to make a special request of both of them at an exclusive banquet the following day. So Haman leaves the banquet totally drunk. Okay, so we've, we've now gone through two more chapters in like a split second, which is really brilliant. Um, but I just want to point out again, this is, a, this is a pivotal point in the story, really important part of it. Um, and what we don't get in doing it this way or even reading the text, and I think this is the thing that we get robbed of quite a lot in, um, in the Bible, is we don't get a time scale for how long things take. So when um, Esther decides, Esther and Malachi decide to have, to, for her to reveal her um, Jewishness, which is really, in, in essence, she's putting her head on the block, right? Because um, it's that serious. That if he decides, and it's so whimsical, he is so whimsical, that, um, and it's, uh, the judgment of the land is so determined by that one person, that if he just doesn't feel like it, she will be killed. And it's that fickle. So it's that much risk that she's bringing to the table because she's like, no, we really need to do this now. This is really important. Um, <coughs> the, the, the Jewish people are on the verge of being wiped out and I have a place to play in this story so I've got to um, you know, put on my big girl pants and get on with it. Okay, So she properly has to go for it. But what we don't see is the time that it's taken for her to get ready for this conversation. It's, some argue that it's over a year that she's put in preparation for this. So what in her physique, in her physical sense, you know, I don't know if they dyed their hair or whatever, but they, she went through all of these different treatments and taking care of her body and all of these different practices and even sexual practices in order to make sure that when she was in his presence, she would win his favour. So there was a huge amount of preparation in that practice, in this thing. And we lose that in just reading it out of the book and we miss it in just watching it in this little video so it's only going to take a couple of seconds so I just wanted to point that out to you alright roll it there Roshan and he sees Mordecai in the street he fumes with anger and he orders that a tall stake be built so that Mordecai can be impaled upon it in the morning it seems like things can't get any worse for the Jews and for Mordecai but all of a sudden the story pivots it just so happens that night the king, he can't sleep. And he has the royal chronicles read to him for good bedtime reading. And he just happens to hear about how Mordecai had saved the king's life. He had totally forgotten. So in the morning, Haman enters to request Mordecai's execution. And the king in that moment orders Haman to honor Mordecai publicly for saving his life. So now Haman has to lead Mordecai around the city on a royal horse, telling everyone to praise him. Now this moment in the story, it's a pivot for the whole book. It begins Haman's downfall and Mordecai's rise to power. Watch how this works. The day after is Esther's second banquet. So the king and Haman arrive and Esther informs the king that first of all, she's Jewish. And second, that Haman has enacted a decree to murder her and to murder Mordecai, who saved his life, and to murder all of the Jews. 
Now the king's had a lot to drink, so when he hears this news, he goes into yet one more drunken rage, and he orders that Haman be impaled on the very stake he made for Mordecai. It's ironic and a grisly way for Haman to go. Haman's execution, however, doesn't solve the problem of the decree to kill all of the Jews. So the focus now turns to Esther and Mordecai as they make a plan to reverse the decree. They discover that the king can't revoke a decree that he's already made. So instead, the king commissions Mordecai to issue a counter-decree. On the appointed day that all of the Jews were supposed to be killed, the 13th of Adar, now the Jews are ordered to defend themselves and to destroy any who plotted to kill them. Then Mordecai, Esther, and Jews everywhere hold banquets and feasts to celebrate this new decree, and Mordecai is elevated to a seat beside the king. Eventually, the decree day comes, and the Jews triumph over their enemies. First, they destroy Haman's family, and then any other Persian officials who had joined in Haman's plot. And then on a second day, they get permission to destroy any who plotted against them throughout the entire kingdom. This results in joy and celebration as the Jews are rescued from annihilation. The story then tells about how Esther and Mordecai established by decree this annual two-day feast of Purim to commemorate their deliverance from destruction. And the name of the feast comes from Haman's dice. Remember, Purim. The book concludes with a short epilogue as Mordecai is elevated to second in command in the kingdom and we are told now with his royal greatness and splendor as the Jews thrive in exile. Now, step back. Notice how this whole story has been designed. The story was full of moments of ironic reversal, but we can now see the whole story is structured as an ironic reversal, right down to the details. So the king's splendor and feasts and decrees are mirrored by Mordecai's splendor and feasts and decrees at the end. Esther and Mordecai, they first saved the king, but now in the end they save all of the Jews. Then you have Haman's elevation and edicts and banquet that gets reversed by Mordecai's elevation and edict and banquet. And then in the center, you have Esther and Mordecai's planning scenes, and then Esther's two banquets that act as a frame around the greatest <laughs> moment of reversal in the whole story, Haman's humiliation and Mordecai's exaltation. Beautiful. Another fascinating feature of this book is the moral ambiguity of the characters. There's a lot of drinking and anger and sex and murder, of which Mordecai and Esther are a part. Not to mention their violation of many commands in the Torah, like marrying Gentiles or eating impure foods. And so the story is not putting Mordecai and Esther forward as moral examples, as if it endorses all of their behavior. But they are put forward as models of trust and hope when things get really bad. And so the book of Esther comes back to that question with which we begin, why God is not mentioned. The message of this book seems to be that when God seems absent, when his people are in exile, when they're unfaithful to the Torah, does this mean that God is done with Israel? Has God abandoned his promises? And the book of Esther says, no. It invites us to see that God can and does work in the real mess and moral ambiguity of human history. And he uses the faithfulness of even morally compromised people to accomplish his purposes. And so the book of Esther asks us to be willing to trust God's providence even when we can't see it working. And to hope that no matter how bad things get, God is committed to redeeming his world. And that's what the book of Esther is all about. There you go. So that's Esther. And I can sit down now. Um, so Annie, what's, give me some feedback. How, did you, how was that? Was that? Is there new stuff? Did you pick up new stuff in there? 
Yeah. Say again. They did have lots of parties. They definitely knew how to do that. Um, what about? Um, I had a question there and I've lost it now. Uh, anything you disagreed with, or was a bit like, oh, that's not how I read it. Anything like that pop up for you? Yeah. You don't see it. Yeah. And there's two books that are like that, Ruth and Esther. And it's, it's kind of, it's interesting that they're two books for women, written about women. And yet they have this mirror thing going on, which is really interesting. Any, anything else? Anyone else? No? Okay. I'll go into my spiel then. So... Um, I think it's really, I found that really informative and particularly because of the, um, the uh, mirrored nature of the story. I also really like the story because there is this sense of her and Malachi's imperfection in the story. And it's one of the things I've noticed, I've always noticed when I read particularly Old Testament characters' stories because their flaw is always very evident in, in their story. So, you know, when we sell stories, when we sell, um, when we're selling things, we always like, this is the best product in the world, and it can do all things, and make you a cup of tea. <laughs> do you know what I mean? We do this. We don't say things like, this product actually harms the environment. Using it a lot is quite corrosive on the surfaces in your home, which means you're going to have to resurface things. You know what I mean? We don't sell that side of it. Um, so we only sell the best, isn't it? And, um, and we've been shown that quite a lot. And what I love about the Old Testament characters is that actually they say, like, Moses was a bit of a scaredy cat and couldn't speak very well because he's got a stammer, you know. And it's like, but then God did great things. And God did great things. He was an orphan, and God did great things. Um, and I think that's really brilliant, because actually what it shows us is that these are not elite, well-put-together, you know, walking three inches off the floor type people. They're actually very human and very real. Um, and I really like that. <clears throat> um, in this passage, there's an awful lot of governmental stuff being spoken about, and I think this is where it translates into where our context really quite well. Um, we have a conversation in there about political positioning, power exchange, usurping, and, you know, skullduggery that would make House of Cards, you know, look like playmates. And, um, I mean, the impaling on, on a stick was a bit much. <laughs> but it's gruesome. It was gruesome. It really was. And it wasn't, it wasn't light-hearted. It wasn't easy. It was messy. It was difficult, it was extremely dangerous what they were doing, but they were making themselves do this in order that their people would have a say in a political arena where they would just not have one. So it begs the question, what does that mean to us? What does that mean for us in our context and in our world? You can sit with that one for a minute. What does that mean for us? How do we engage or disengage with the government? How do we... I've heard comments thrown out like, um, I sure why bother? <coughs> do you know, what's the point? 
casting my vote makes no difference. By not casting your vote, you're allowing the opposition an extra step up. That's what happens when we don't vote. Um, that vote, that cost an awful lot of people an awful lot to, for us to have the freedom of getting it. And we've become comfortable to the point where we're apathetic. Um, and, and that's a dangerous place to be. Um, it's really interesting. Churches grow when things are hard. Churches grow when um, people are oppressed, have no income, all of that kind of stuff. So if you hear, I'm sure you hear about this, like Africa, South America, South America particularly at the moment, is having an absolute storm of um, revival and regeneration over there in a Christian sense. Because they don't have anything. They're utterly oppressed. The government does nothing for them. They're being shot down, literally physically shot down, by... um, Good, uh, what you call it, drug lords and all of that sort of malarkey going on over there. They're actually terrified to walk out their front door, yet they have to in order to eat. And we have gotten to a point, I would say, that we're so comfortable. Sure, it's nothing to do with us. It's over there. So I'll send a few pennies and sure that'll be grand. Do you know what I mean? That's it. That's as much as I'm going to get involved in it. But we wouldn't even send enough... We wouldn't, would we send enough money to the point where we would actually have to sacrifice something? Do we give to that extent? Here's Esther giving up her whole life in order to get into the court. Now, it's not, it seems like, woohoo, you're in the court, you've got someone's looking after you, you got some food, you know, got regular meals and stuff like that. Actually, had she not won the favour, uh, if you've ever seen anything with mean girls in it, you know, uh, like a, seeing a film or um, a soap opera or something like that, where the girls turn on an individual. Um, it's quite scary, and um, that actually was the practice inside the house. So had she not got the protection of the favour of the king, she would have faced some really, really difficult times. She, but, but even in that, even with the favour of the king... She's really at risk. She doesn't have the freedom to walk around and talk to whoever she wants to or do whatever. She gave up all of that stuff in order so that the Jewish people could have a say. Would we be willing to do the same? Okay. Would we be willing to sacrifice to the point of, if I perish, I perish? Would we? Do we? Have we? big stuff isn't it and when we compare and look in that way what is it that we live for what is it that we sacrifice for what is it that we give to and is it the service of God and his kingdom is it is that our priority or is it keeping the status quo Um, or is it keeping the system going because we're getting pay out, out of the system don't know. That question you'll have to sit with. So, we've gone on to our third question, which is, what would we give then? What would we give in order for the kingdom of God to come? What would we give up? What would we do without? 
I was chatting with the young people about Christmas, you know. You know the way you do. You're like, oh, what did you do over Christmas time? What did you have? What happened? Rah, rah, rah. And I said, anybody do anything particularly givey? You know, did you give in any particularly nice way um, over the Christmas time? And it was brilliant. They all said yes. And it was lovely. And they did things that they wouldn't normally have done. So, uh, for instance, one of the young people went and got second-hand gifts for um, for their friends and things. So she went and got things, kind of spruced them up a little bit and gave them on. And she did that in a conscious way to not um, for the environment, to look after the environment. She wasn't skin flint and she was thinking about rather than producing more stuff, getting more stuff made, why don't I use what's there? So like she bought bottles and put some stuff in and handed it on to others. Brilliant, lovely, well done. Um, there was another one who gave food to the food bank and went and got some stuff and gave it to the food bank. And I was like, oh, that's brilliant. Well done, you. Um, And I said, do you know what's interesting? When you see in the supermarkets, they have this trolley, don't they, as you're walking out for, for you to put in your whatever for the food bank that they're collecting or charity or whatever it is they're doing. And it's brilliant. And it's like, oh, yeah, I must remember to get some cornflakes or something. For, for the tea or sugar puffs, whatever, however you roll. So, um, so you know, she, so she's going and you're going and getting that. But I've noticed, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you walk past that trolley, there's more um, mega value stickers in there than branded stuff. Do you know what I mean? So it depends on where you shop, but um, like everyday specials or, or everyday thing, which is, pardon? Smart price, and there you go. So you've got these things where you've got, like, super supremo paying for the same thing that comes in this sort of... And then there's the, the bottom shelf dirt that you get, like... Particularly, we're talking tea, you know. So if you got tea that's from mega bargainy tea that's in, like, no-frills no packaging, whatever the brandage is... It's usually dust, <laughs> you know, it's something they've swept up off the floor and it's like, oh, grand. Um, and it's horrible tea. I just, sorry, I'm a tea snob. I will hold my hand up to that one right now. Um, so, so when I see that, I'm just like, oh, you poor crayer, <laughs> whoever's getting it. I'm like, oh, you poor tea. Um, but those, but isn't that what they look like? It's mega value beans, um, dinner in a can, whatever you call it, stew or something. And it's all, which is gross, I think. Um, anyway, even it's got a brand on it. Um, and it's all that sort of stuff, right? Anybody else? Anybody else see that? Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, that's all very well. Yeah, but good. if you buy the cheaper stuff, you can buy more of it. You know, if you've only got a small amount to spare yourself, yeah. you can buy more by buying the Yeah, food. okay, we're, that's we're, fine. We're grateful for any... Yeah, okay. That's not the point I'm making, though. Um, and I appreciate what you're saying, and I'm not saying don't give. That's not what I'm saying, and I've never said that. I'm saying look at what we're given, and look at how we're giving it, okay? So, how about, have we ever gone home with a bag full of value brand stuff, value stuff, in our cupboard, and put what we would have put in our cupboard into the basket? That's the point I'm making. Would we have done that? That's what I'm saying. So if we're going to give, 
I'm asking the questions. I'm not giving a judgment. I'm not telling you you're right or wrong. I'm saying, actually, when we evaluate what we give and how we give and why we give, are we giving to the extent that we see in the example of what Esther is doing? Or do we give comfortably that isn't actually asking that much of us? It's giving out of what we have. And I understand that people do give more than what they've got, and I appreciate that, and I'm not giving a judgment. Hear that now. And I'm not saying don't support any kind of charity or whatever. I'm challenging you with the context of the uh, scripture that we're using. Are you kind of saying that um, when we give, what impact it has on us? So when we give, um, it should have an impact on us. Yeah. yeah, it should have an impact on us. Well, it does have an impact. It, regardless, it would have an impact on you. I'm, ask, I'm, I'm questioning, I'm questioning, I'm asking you to think about this. So think about it from the Esther point of view. Esther put herself in a position where she was really vulnerable. I'm not asking you to do that either. But she put herself in a position where she could make decisions for the people around her. And she put herself in a position where it cost her quite a bit to do that. And I'm saying we're in a world where we give when it's easy. <coughs> we don't give in a sacrificial way. Does that make sense? Okay. That's all I'm saying. And I'm asking you to look at yourself. I'm not asking you to look at anybody else in the room. And I'm not asking you to live in a judgment under what I'm saying because that's not what's happening here. I'm asking you to consider what it is you do and how it is you give and why. And do you give out of your ease, or do you make sacrifices? That's it. And I think there is a good place to stop. And so what we'll do is we'll just sit, and you can think about how it is. And I understand this is hard, difficult stuff to sit with, but I'm just asking you to do that. That doesn't mean we don't deserve well. That doesn't mean that we don't deserve right or good. Um, it doesn't mean that we can't have nice things. That's not it. That is not what I'm saying. I'm just asking you to think under the understanding that here's a character that changed a world because of the sacrifices they made. And I'm asking you to consider where you stand in that. That's it. So let's just be quiet for a minute and think on that. Let's just pray. So Lord, we just... Recognize that this is big stuff, that this is difficult um, things to think about. There are, there are things in our hearts that we struggle with. And so, Lord, we just ask that you come and be with us, recognizing that you absolutely and unequivocally delight in us. We make you smile. We are your children. We are your beloved. So in that, we sit and ask of ourselves, do we shine for you?
question. Yeah. If you're a tea snob, do you use tea bags or loose tea? I use loose tea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean a real snob. I have like special pots for different teas and stuff. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah. But amen to that. <laughs> okay. Um, were you going to play some song? Is that right? The hymn is next. Let's do the hymn and we will, um, that's right, and then we can draw people in from the different rooms. I don't know if someone's there to, to do that. But let's sing. As a dear pastor of water, uh, let's sing. zones and we have had different experiences so does anybody want to come down well no sorry does anybody want to talk to me about the chat zone and then we'll do what happened in the busy zone yeah <coughs> yeah we didn't have as much time as we would have liked to have looked 
when she was. And we thought that this sort of brought out the fact that honesty in the end is is that not working, Mum? To shout, right? You don't need to shout. No, I won't. She's met me before. Esther was not honest at first about who she was, where she came from, and her background. But in the end, she was. And the honesty in the end is always what we should be aiming for. And a lot of what we thought about was the fact that even when she came to a real crisis, she still said we need to allow ourselves time to fast and to to focus on praying and what is wanting and to just give themselves time to think about what God actually wanted and not to just rush in with first thoughts and to have the time to listen to what God was actually going to say. Um, So if God gives you time to listen... We had an example of a cat jumping on the knee. You know, if, if, if God is giving you that time and saying, just sit down and listen, then perhaps we should and not be on such a rush and a checklist of what we should be doing from here to there. And do we stand up enough for others? We probably all could say that we don't. That we should not just think about that's wrong, but actually do something about it in whatever way that we can. We did think about other things, but that was basically where we were. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks. Um, this, uh, okay, so I believe we have a special gift from the busy zone and in the form of a play. So would our um, beautiful puppeteers love to join us down here? And I don't know how we're going to mic this, but we'll have a go anyway. Should that one be enough to pick up? Yeah? Yeah? Grant. Cool. The king, king's gone rogue. King's gone shy. Right, we've got this, the story of Esther... Now, if we, just, if we just put the puppets up and then you know who's who, we've got, we've got Mordecai, the uncle, we've got Esther, the queen, we've got Xerxes, the king, and we've got the crowd, they're the crowd there, and we've got horrible Haman, Okay, just go down now and then we'll come up. Right, okay, ready. Esther was a star. Esther was a star. She was a beautiful Jewish girl chosen by the king of Persia to be his queen. Esther had an uncle called Mordecai, who was very kind. When Esther's parents died, he raised her as his own daughter. And when she was made queen, he warned her not to tell the king that she'd come from one of the Jewish peoples. So the king was clueless. The king, we ready, king? The king was clueless. He loved Queen Esther, but he didn't know she was a Jew. Haman was horrible. He was the king's right-hand man. And he loved nothing as much as pushing people around. One day, Haman was walking through the city 
when he met some of the other king's the king's other servants. <coughs> bow before me, horrible Haman commanded, and they all bowed, all except for Mordecai. I will bow before no one but God, said Mordecai. Well, Haman was <coughs> furious, and he went straight to the king. Where's the king? He went straight to the king to seek his revenge. There is a troublesome race of people in our land, he said, who worship a different god. They are Jews, your majesty. Give me your permission and I will do away with them. The king was clueless. So he told horrible Haman to kill every Jew in the land, not knowing he was condemning his own queen. When Mordecai heard the news, he went to see Esther. Okay, Esther and Mordecai, that's it. (laughs) Go to the king, he said, and do what you can to save us. But I have to wait for the king to invite me into his presence, Esther explained. If I go to him without his invitation, the law of the Persians says that he has the right to kill me. You must go anyway, said Mordecai, whatever the risk. God puts people in places at just the right time so they can do what he wants. God has put you in the palace to save your people. Esther was a star, so she went to see the king. And far from being angry, the king was delighted to see her. Yay! What do you want, my darling? He asked. I want to have a dinner party, said Esther, and I want to invite your right-hand man, Haman. The king agreed, the date was set, and horrible Haman was happy. He'd be... But when he got to the party, horrible Haman was suddenly not so happy. I've had some sad news today, said the Queen, with tears in her eyes. Someone wants to see me dead. And not only me, but all of my people too. They're all at the dinner party, (coughs) Haman and and the King and the Queen. (laughs) Who is this person, shouted the King. Tell me and he will soon be dead instead. There he is. Point at Haman, that's it. And she pointed at Haman. I don't understand, Haman trembled. I have nothing against you. Yes, you do, said Esther, for I am a Jew and you mean to kill us all. The king was no longer clueless. He saw everything clearly now. He loved his queen. He didn't care that she was a Jew, but he was very angry with Haman. Put him to death, the king ordered. And so (laughs) Haman was hanged on his very own hanging machine. But Esther and Mordecai and all the people lived on, lived on to return to their own land, all because Esther was a star.
There we go. No, no expense spared. <laughs> Highly professional they were. <laughs> Thanks very much. They did a great job, didn't they? Brilliant. Cool. So we've gotten to hear and see Esther from lots of different points of view today. Um, and we get to celebrate the fact that God's at work, even when we don't see it, uh, even when we don't realise it. He turns a situation that isn't great into something great if we're willing to play our part in it. And I think that's the most that we can say about the Esther story. It was very dark to begin with and very bright in the end, although I question the mass genocide of the, in chapter 10. Anyway, so, um, but there you go. That's what happened. They stepped up and um, God, mad, brilliant, big things happened as a result of it. Um, so, yeah. So how does that apply to us? And I'll leave you with that to think about. Um, we'll play our hymn again. Oh, yes. Can we do the offering? And um, we'll... Thanks. Yeah. So we'll take our offering... Dear Lord, this is just a portion of what we give, what we give in our time, what we give in our passion, what we give in our heart cry. This is represented in the giving we do we have here today. Take it and make it great. And so now we're going to sing our last hymn, which is, um, Oh Jesus, I Have Promised. This is a new one to me, so we'll have a go with that.
will go forth, brothers and sisters, shine brightly in the world around you. Whoever you meet, wherever you are, remember you're in the presence of God and uh, the presence of his kingdom. So go forth, shine brightly. Be Esther's in your world. You have it in you. God is with you. Go and shine brightly. Amen. Amen.